It's Tennessee Titans talk. Really fun weekend, guys. Not a fun end of that game. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. You know, we play teams that we're supposed to beat, and they run out there and play, and they were pretty well coached. They had a pretty good game plan, but they had no business beating us, and that's why they had to come back down from two scores and – we're going to talk about it. This is the the Giants letdown uh, review, but we love this team, but we're going to talk about it. We have seen them play poorly. We saw them last year lose to a, I don't know how bad this team is, but they're not near as talented as uh, the Titans can be. We saw, obviously, the Titans lose to the Jets last year, so maybe better things are ahead, but still a pretty tough one to stomach on Big Fella and Mine's birthday weekend. Uh, Landon, let's get right to it. I, I know we've heard a lot about play calling and our offense coordinator. I want to hear some intelligent landing griping uh, with some with some really actionable stuff about what you saw Sunday from the, from the, from the game plan. Well, what I saw is that Todd Downing has no business being anywhere on an NFL field, every second he spends on that turf is another spit on Vince Lombardi's grave because he has to be someone, one of the few coaches in the NFL with absolutely zero redeeming qualities. I mean, he doesn't call good plays. He doesn't scheme up good plays. Our scheme is ancient by NFL standards, and it works because Derrick Henry is really good, and the play action works when defense is bite on it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. We don't adjust. Situational awareness we all, as we know from last year, is a joke. I mean, I saw we failed on our last eight third down conversions. Six of them were third and four or shorter. Four of them were third and two or shorter. We're supposed to be a power run, punch you in the mouth, good and short yards team, and we can't get two yards on third down. And it's not because we don't have the talent or the Giants were a great defense and they just matched us up. We call stupid plays that don't have a chance of working other teams when it's third and two. I mean, I saw on one of our second half drives when it fizzled out super early, third and two, Hooper and Phillips both run crossers two yards down the field. That's doing nothing. You're not stretching the defense. You're not, you're playing at the sticks, but the sticks are so close to you. You're effectively playing at the line of scrimmage. You're doing nothing. The linebackers were just standing in front of our guys because they don't even have to take a step back to get in front of them. And Tannehill just guns into the dirt because no one's open because two of his receivers are running into each other right into the linebackers. The Giants didn't even do anything. It was just an awful play call. We don't get our guys open. Then just the personnel management. So on our third scoring drive, which was the field goal, it was ended in the field goal to make it 13-0. On back-to-back plays in the red zone, on second and third and short, goal to go, here was our offensive personnel. Jeff Swaim, Austin Hooper, Torrey Carter, Cody Hollister, and Derrick Henry. That it's just embarrassing because even up in the stadium, you could just tell everyone was just looking around like, "What what the hell is he doing?" That's not the best receiver on that is Hooper. Like, there's no one out there that's going to catch the ball and do anything, especially with such a short field. Like at that point, you need someone that can get open or make a tough catch. Never guys can do that. And then on the third and short, we do play action bootleg, their play action rollout. He dumps it off to Derrick Henry, who's a who's honestly a bad receiving back who drops the ball, and we kick on on third and three. I mean, at that point, why wouldn't you just run? Why wouldn't you have your actually good players in the game? I have the snap counts uh, because... Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I know we're not there at practice. I know we haven't been in training camp, but still, the snap counts and who was out there when is really hard to understand. So, Traylon Burks, who was easily our most explosive offensive player, most explosive boundary receiver, he got 22 snaps. That was a bit over one-third. Every time he was on the field, he was making something happen. The two incompletions were that one where he got tripped up. Maybe it was defensive pass interference. 
And Dan Hill just put a bit too much on, on a seam route over the middle in the red zone. He was making plays. He looked awesome. I mean, his conditioning isn't an issue. It's not... I mean, he's on the field 22 plays. It's not like we were running hurry up and we ran 60 plays and he was on there for 40 of them and he just needed to catch his breath. I mean, that series where that ended in the field goal with the stupid play calls, he had like that 25-yard catch and run to set it up. And then he's just standing Mm -hmm. on the sidelines the whole time, just standing around doing nothing while Cody Hollister's in the game. Like, what is Cody Hollister doing that Traylon Burks can't? And I was was re-watching some of the game yesterday, fellas, and that one play call, it was a non-call where the defensive back literally tackled Traylon Burks down the field, and they didn't throw the flag. Boger watched the whole entire thing. You know, they wanted to say it was incidental contact. Contact. I'm not the one to, to sit here and cry about a call, but that was some garbage. That should have been a 45-yard a gain off of a penalty. Or if he didn't get tackled, he would have caught it. He was right there. We fall flat in week one because we don't play our starters in the preseason. We don't. Downing doesn't have experience with Tannehill before game one. He doesn't have experience with our wide receiver with our starting wide receivers until game one. Henry till week one. Luan week one. I mean, maybe we saw Luan in uh, you know a handful of preseason snaps, but it just seems like yesterday where preseason you ramped up your play, and that fourth preseason game was always the dress rehearsal where the starters played the first half went into the locker room in halftime and came out and took that first drive of the third quarter. Like, none of our starters played in the preseason, and there were times where they didn't look ready. And, you know, where Downing didn't know what to play, what to call, because he hasn't had experience with these guys. And I'm curious if you guys think that's as big of a deal as I think it is. Yeah, Landon, do you agree with that? They were definitely rusty, but when I see now, um, a lot of teams don't play – their top flight guys at all. And when I see people out there, I'm just nervous they're going to get injured. So where do you land on that, Landon? I think that's a much fairer explanation for how the defense played, just because defense is so reliant on communication and just the feel and just the how all the, all the players interconnect. That's no excuse at all for downing. If no, you look no, at no, the no. first half of the game, we scored 13 points, easily could have been 20. Outside of the, that dumb drive where he just turtled up and wanted to kick a field goal in the red zone, <clears throat> there really wasn't anything you could complain about on offense. Tannehill was looking good. Henry was running efficiently. The offensive line held up. We were making plays. We had to kick more field goals than we wanted, but we hadn't really messed up. And the whole second half, until we were trailing, Downing just turtles up. He, this is what he does. When we get a lead, he wants just to run twice, throw short, and punt just over and over. Other teams, when they go up two scores, they push the envelope. They want to extend the lead. They don't play to lose at that point. They play to win. And it's not even like we don't have to open every drive with a 50-yard bomb trying to score on every single play. But it's like like I said earlier, our attempted game-winning drive, we're not throwing deep at all. We're throwing seven-yard, five-yard in routes and out routes the whole time. And the defense is just sitting back and letting it happen because we are out of time. Like the whole game, downing... Just it was like it was just pathetic because everyone knew the offense was sucking. It was falling flat. It was out of air. And then when we needed them to do something, we were out of time. We had to kick a long field goal, and we lost. And there's no excuse. You look at the second half. It's not that oh, there's not a lack of communication. Phillips had two drops. I'm gonna say we had a couple more drops, but overall, there weren't any glaring mistakes made out of rust and a lack of experience. I mean. Tannehill got pressured like, yeah. Tannehill got pressured like twice, all yeah. game. 
and it was, there were matchups we should have been able to take yeah. advantage of. But I think, mm, you know, and I'm yeah. again, I'm not making excuses for downing. I think part of it is kind of putting that responsibility and credibility on the team. Like at this point in week one, when you got a, bag, a bogus play call in third and one, I want our $100 million quarterback to be like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do. We need something different. And to call an audible or to, you know, take control of the huddle and be like, all right, you know, Todd, I appreciate the play call, but that's not going to work here. And, you know, to us, it wouldn't be too much. It it, it wouldn't be any different to us. We might even look at it and be like, oh, Todd Downing's a genius, not knowing that Tannehill gave him the business and took control, took the control of the reins. I mean, I, I think that's what I look for when, you know, we're in week one and we're in these critical moments where we don't have this preseason exposure and the cohesion is a, a first team offense or a defense. And two years ago, Shane Bowen was in a, not quite this bad, but um, people were similarly unhappy with his performance as defensive coordinator. He certainly uh, seems to have figured it out, and obviously they've developed and, and added some some players. Is there any reconciliation with this it, for you as a fan? Can can Downing redeem himself and work this out, or is he is he too far gone for you? Not at all. <laughs> Not even close. At least because with Shane Bowen, we had the worst pass rush in the NFL, like by a mile. Like if any team that wasn't total garbage, we had the worst pass rush. We didn't have a good cornerback room, and that was also the year where the COVID rules made it a lot easier for offense, like holding and offensive line penalties were way down. And I just think on defense, it's easier to explain away problems with the lack of offensive talent. But you look at our offense, the talent wasn't a problem. Across the board, we were better than the Giants in every facet of the game on offense. And you saw that in the first half. I mean, we we didn't run amazingly, but we were running consistently for four yards a carry. We were pass blocking well. We were getting open. We were making catches. They're, they're, they weren't a good defense at all. Their, their two starting pass rushers were out. This should not have been a game at all. And I think the offensive struggles are magnified because we weren't calling good plays that didn't work because they got covered well. We were calling bad plays that were easy to guard. And at that point, it's the NFL. The talent margins are a lot smaller than anywhere else. If you, you're just, we're pretty much giving the Giants defensive coordinator a playbook and saying, hey, we're doing this. Just try and stop us. We're not going to throw deep. We're not going to throw over the middle. We're not going to do anything exotic. If Henry's on the field, just forget about him in the receiving game. Don't worry about our tight ends. Oh, we're going to keep our best receiver off the field most of the game because, I don't know, he's a rookie. We don't trust him. Let's put Nick Westbrook-Akina in, who did, like, nothing all game. (laughs) Big fella, there were some positive things of this game. I think the defense, especially in the second half, looked like they're going to be, you know, a really good defense again. Amani Hooker played really well in this game. Talk a little bit about that and other things that, that you did come away with a more positive feeling. We do have 16 more regular season games to play. Amani Cooper's contract, and if you were surprised uh, to see him sign an extension before Jeffrey Simmons, and I know you said before the show that you feel like that's imminent. I, I don't know that it is, but what, what makes you think that that uh, we're going to see Simmons uh, ink a long-term deal real soon? Well, I think, you know, number one, I love the fact that we signed Amani Hooker to a long-term deal to partner with Bayard because I think the two of them are a safety tandem that, you know, doesn't currently exist in the league. You know, they are the definition of taking some later round talent, develop, developing them into great players. 
I just think it's it's an incredible step for us as an organization. I do think we're going to get something done with Simmons pretty soon. Obviously, he's one of the best um, interior defensive linemen in the entire league, uh, not named Aaron Donald, but honestly, even after this week and last Thursday, maybe he's in the same conversation. But the there was a lot of speculation, and um, a lot of Titans fans had noticed that Jeff Simmons' agent was at the game on Sunday, hanging out with John Robinson pre-game, post-game. So clearly something's going on, and uh, obviously, you know, <laughs> J-Rob's contract pen is working with the whole Amani Hooker thing. So, and you see all these guys signing extensions. You know, Darren Waller just recently signed, and Quentin Nelson, and you also see the in, the instance with uh, Lamar Jackson where they're not coming to a long-term deal and that's going to terrify every single Ravens fan and we cannot afford to let that happen to our defense where we can't lock this guy up so i think it's imminent i think it's going to happen j rob is going to do it especially after having a two sack game i mean the guy's stock is just rising higher and higher and higher. The longer we wait, the more we put ourselves in a crazy position, especially after losing Landry. I mean, it's got to happen. Landon, with us really struggling offensively, especially down the stretch in that game, I think a big fear for big-time Titans fans was how A.J. Brown would look immediately in Philly. He did look great. We gave up a really good player that I know has some question marks on not really off the field, but some injuries on the field and some kind of bizarre maybe communication behavior with the team. We saw him just go absolute bananas uh, on Sunday. Honestly, though, without the hyperbole you hear from fans, like how did that strike you in the pit of your stomach Sunday? It didn't hurt as much knowing that our offense and downing are complete idiots and he'll only be on the field for 70% of the snaps like he used to be. So, I mean, yes, I mean, yes, he's awesome. Yes, it sucks to see him go. But if Burks actually played a full game, which there's no reason he shouldn't have been, and if we were consistently targeting him because the Giants had no one who could cover him, Burks would have had a good game. I mean, he had three catches for 53 yards on a third of the snaps. And he had two big plays that he was inches away from making. I think everybody that listens to this podcast knows, big fellow, that, and I'm being dead serious, that Landon was not going to get off Downing's back this entire podcast. And it's oh, all going to sure. come back to him. And I don't think Landon, I think he speaks for our fan base. I think people are pretty furious. I know it just seems so cliche. You know, it was like, oh, the fans think they could do better than that. But going back oh, no, we really, to that we Bengals really game and then in the Giants, it's like, man, I think I get it. I mean, yeah. it's really awful. I mean, if a twelve-year-old, a twelve-year-old yeah. playing Madden has better situational awareness. I, than I was just going to say that if you've played Madden, you can call a better game than than Todd Downing. Uh, it's not that hard anymore. I mean, especially like Landon, like you hinted at earlier, we have. It's not like we don't have the talent on offense. Even if you look back to Cincy last year, we had Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. We have all these guys. We had Julio. I mean, it, it's just like it, it's so stupid and so mind-boggling. And, and Nathan, like I mentioned earlier, there is a petition out to fire Downing. It's got over a thousand signatures in the last 24 hours. I mean, yeah, our fans notice and yeah, they're fed up with it. Me personally, I, I thought um, hiring Tim Kelly was going to have the same effect as hiring Jim Schwartz with uh, as a defensive assistant with Shane Bowen and it hasn't happened. So I, I just don't get it, what Vrabel's uh, infatuation with Todd Downing is. I mean, we caught lightning in a bottle once with Arthur Smith, promoted him from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. It worked 
beautifully. He was a mastermind, and he's doing crazy things in Atlanta, um, you know, specifically with Corderell Patterson that, and revitalizing Marcus Mariota, which kind of proved that he's worth it. And Todd Downing is not that guy. We saw it when he was in Oakland. Like, he's garbage. Landon, I think everybody likes um, the PFF grading, the pro football focus stuff, and it helps because it's such a team game, especially the offensive line or the defensive backfield. It really is, you know, it's hard to get a big sample size, but it is helpful for me. Tell us a little about what stood out with you with the individual Titan player grades um, uh, against the Giants. Well, I want to get one more downing hate (laughs) comment in, even though we'll definitely get more. The reason everyone hates him isn't because he's bad at his job. The reason everyone hates him is because he's bad at his job and fails in a pathetic, just gut-punching, take-the-air-out-of-your-sails way because other teams across the NFL had bad offensive days, but I'm sure they at least tried to do something on offense. They didn't go, we're just going to run the middle for two yards of carry, then throw a, a pass four yard, two yards behind the line of scrimmage, then we'll punt. Like Other teams, when they're bad on offense, they're at least trying to do something. Like... They have a lack of receivers or a lack of an offensive line. Or like in Chicago, the weather is just totally awful, so they have to scrap their entire game plan. But even when they suck, at least they're trying to do something. They're playing their best players. They're calling good plays. It's just outside factors hurt them. With us, the weather was good. Our talent isn't an issue. It's just we have a complete buffoon at the controls who doesn't know what 2 plus 2 is in in football terms. All right, so moving moving on to PFF. Simmons, obviously, was our best player. Actually, through one game, he is the highest-graded defensive tackle in the NFL, both overall and pass-rushing-wise. And did, a little did bit... You, did, did the eye test say that? Because I thought he just looked like a monster out there. Oh, absolutely. And I think... I mean, you could probably apply a bit of a mental grading curve to the fact that he was just boosting his grade against whoever their left guard was. I think it was Bredesen. Like, he was just farming up pressures and hurries and sacks on that guy. But he was awesome. He had one or two more almost sacks that Daniel Jones escaped from. And he was really the only consistent part of our defense because I thought, especially in the Rundy, we really missed Landry. I mean, we just lost so much contain on the edges. We gave it so many big runs that we usually Mm. don't do. And I think, and Autry didn't have a good game. He grayed out really poorly and he didn't look that good on the field yesterday either. I think it's because he can't really transition to other position. Yeah, because he can't really play that. Defensive end role, he has to be outside the tackle now. So, Jeffrey Simmons is amazing. He's going to get the bag soon. Whatever he wants, pay him. That's cool. Nate Davis is the second overall guard right now. Our, like I said earlier, our entire offensive line, I thought, played well. Yeah. And part of that was the Giants had no pass rushers. But Nate Davis, number two guard right now. Nate Davis has continued to play better every season and probably every four or five games, I mean, since we've had him. So it's good to say that he's not really reached a peak. I mean, he, he looked as good as obviously as he ever as he ever has. That's a big question for us offensive line. He's going to need to ascend. I mean, one game in, looks like he has. Then Kyle Phillips, who ha- had a very up-and-downs rookie debut, yeah. he still finished 20th among receivers counting – he had two drops. One of them was that awful one over the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And also well, that muffed punt that the they punt, don't count yeah, for the receiver wolf. rating. But the I, muffed yeah. punt, but, but look at his first punt return. I mean, yeah. man, the dude went for that what, was 48 fun. yards. It was, yeah, I think it's just oh, yeah. rookie. I think it was a lot yeah. of just rookie jitters. Yeah. It was incredible. Burks would have been the 16th grade receiver, except he didn't play enough snaps to qualify because we really needed oh, Nick man. Westbrook out there. 
I just wish we had some kind of explanation for that. Like you said earlier, I don't think there is one. Yeah, and you can't right. even go to the the asthma and out of shape and conditioning thing because Burks played like an entire preseason game not even a month ago, and he's been healthy since then. It's like he, he can play a full preseason game. Why isn't he on the field the whole time? That It's hard to understand. I just hate how we seem to feel like, oh, we have to rotate our guys. We have to prove that our scheme is why we succeed in our players, like, it can be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver four. We'll be good. It's like the best offenses don't overcomplicate it. Like the Chiefs aren't like, all right, let's take Kelsey out. Let's put in our tight end two and run the same play just to prove that we can do it. <laughs> they do, they abuse the hell out of t- Kelsey being awesome. Yeah. And everywhere across the league, good. they just use your good players. Like in Minnesota, they were getting Jefferson oh, yeah. lined up on defensive ends, and they were like, oh, we're going to prove that we can run a sophisticated offense. They're like, hey, Justin Jefferson, just beat up on this defensive end. We'll pass to you. It'll get easy, yeah. easy yards. We're going to win. Well, it's like the Packers forget about him. That I know we're talking about our Titans, but he was playing in single coverage in zone all day. And they have Jar Alexander like, I will never understand rewatching that. Like, what? Who? How did they forget Jefferson? Anyway, yeah, I don't I don't understand that. that Landon's no. point is, um, and I think Bill Belichick literally won Super Bowls by taking his strengths, finding weaknesses, and just pounding it, pounding it, pounding it, pounding it, pounding it. And it would have been nice to see because Burks jumped out to me, and then we didn't see him. He looked awesome, and then he didn't get a target after that. I don't think he got a target the second half. Which, more mind he had Because he had that 20-yard catch to start off the game, then the potential DPI, then we had that little dump off to him, then the big catch and run, then the miss in the red zone. All of that was before halftime. I mean, how can a guy have 55 yards in one half and be clearly your best player, and then he doesn't get a target the second half? Big fellow, does this roll back uh, to Mike Vrabel enough? And does anything you've heard from him this week and press conferences otherwise make you feel better about like what they might do different in the future or the responsibility that he or Downing are taking for this. Because no. I think that's a big part of it for me is um, Vrabel should be more mad than Landon, right? I, I would think so. The problem with Vrabel is that he is loyal to a fault and he's never going to throw anybody under the bench, specifically a coach. I mean, we've seen like even last well, I wouldn't year. do it in public, but I certainly would. Um, oh, yuck. he should, he should dress him down in the, you know, in the building. Vrabel wants to be that guy that develops other coaches to go other place. He wants to be the next Bill Belichick. And he is going to probably be so loyal to any of these coordinators until they are threatening to get him fired, which I think I don't want to say we're there because I mean Vrabel is literally the reigning coach, NFL coach of the year last year. So I mean, it's not like Vrabel's got a short leash; he's not going anywhere. Downing is sure a skid mark on this whole thing, and it's just it's out of hand. And like honestly, I told you guys, I signed the petition to get um, Downing fired. I don't believe in that kind of stuff, but part of me just hopes like maybe Vrabel sees it floating around on the internet and he's like, wow, 12,000 signatures. I guess that's legit. Like maybe I'm just doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not thinking about something. I just don't think something. that that would affect him at all. But no, I and it won't. Just, it's, I hope it's the a pipe tape, <laughs> I hope the tape would affect him and because I think it's better to develop people than fire them. But I, I mean, I, I just want him to know that there's something amiss. Landon makes 
a passionate and really good point. Fundamentally, I don't think we have all the tools and resources that the other 31 teams. That's how bad it is. It seems like we're not. When you go 0 for 8 for your last third down, something is broken. It's not. That's beyond even just small sample size. I mean, that's something is not working, especially when we're not just without talent. Our offensive linemen are great now. People are getting pushed. So we aren't executing at the planning level. I Mm -hmm. hope then instead of just defending this stuff at Nazi Maya, and I think these guys do a really good job overall in the coaching staff, that they're going to look at what they have to. It just um, – I don't know that it's one guy because it – you were saying earlier about, well, maybe Tannehill needs to do this or that, or maybe he did. I, whatever it is, my hope is this team understands how important it is and that it really gets fundamentally, fundamentally changed. Because like you said, people can be stubborn to a fault, yeah. especially in even in the NFL for sure. Uh, Landon, did you have any more pro football focus grades to give us? Let me just check real fast. You can cut I know, out. Big Fellow, there was uh, one kind of absent that you were uh, missing um, uh, when yeah. we were talking about this pre-show. We were, we were talking about a pre-show. Um, I think, Landon, you had Petit Frere as the number 36th rated tackle yeah, which isn't which one. isn't great considering he's young against backups, but rookie offensive tackle. I mean, I can't really complain. No, I think that's I think that I think it's yeah, impressive it's for him to be that. You know, because then you you consider each team has two tackles. He's you know within the he, he's within the top half of his position for sure. Yeah. Um, when you got a fourth and fifth round guy like Phillips or Petit Freer and it's game one, and they're just playing their butts off. They look like they were prepared, but they're like trying to tread water physically. When Phillips muffed that punt, it was like, well, he's a fifth-round rookie. Right. It's like, we're not going to put up with that for long, but it's like, you get it. You you totally get that. And even yeah. Petit Ferrer, I would say he was more cagey and kind of gutsy. 36 is it ain't bad. I mean, well, like you said, because, I mean, this guy has never seen the speed as level. Like you said, no. the preseason is, especially now, it's a totally I different mean, game and league until week one. This is a spot we thought Dylan Radins was going to slide into. I mean, so yeah. for him to, to show up as one of the best tackles in week one is amazing. And I think it's fantastic. And it, it speaks volumes to what we can expect for him, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the season. My problem is with the number 37th rated tackle, Taylor Lewan. <laughs> oh, he was 31? Okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better. But still, you're talking about one of the premier left tackles in the game, or, you know, at least... Has he's, been. One he's of just name brand at this point. Well, I think he's better than name brand, but with his contract, with the way he's played over the last couple of years, he needs to be in that top ten tackle in the league. And I'm it, it basically of, means that there was a tackle on every team better than him. And yeah, like yeah. you said, it could be worse. He also makes a million dollars a game. Right. Uh, that, that he made a million dollars a game. His, I don't know. Is his contract still that way in this year? Yeah, his is contract has changed. It's not guaranteed. So, so he's yeah. probably like he's definitely top ten highest paid at the position. Is expected to perform in that top ten level, and I'm not talking about top ten left tackles. I'm talking about top ten tackles in general. I mean, typically that top of the top of top tackle play. You know, you're looking at your left tackles, but Taylor should be up there in top ten tackles overall. And I'm a little aggravated that he's not. And uh, when I was watching the replay of the game yesterday, there were definitely some plays that he left out there. 
and you know there were some plays where he kind of mailed it in and you know he was like just jumping on piles and I'm like all right dude you need to you need to put up or shut up and I, Nathan I know you've been his, big, his biggest critic over the last few years and I, I you know I, I've always agreed with you and I still do uh, I guess I just have more hope for him and I, I like him more than probably both of you guys do but he needs to show me a lot more. Landon, did you have anything else else in the pro football focus stuff that stood out to you? McCreary and Ugo Amadi were 14th and 17th among cornerbacks, respectively. Wow, which is really nice. <laughs> Amadi, especially for a guy that got traded twice in the pre- in the off season for nothing. Right. Well, I mean, I guess no, n- neither of them were covering Richie James, <laughs> but <laughs> oh I yeah. Mean, so at Richie the game, James, but... I, it was Nathan. Myself, and I mean, John, myself, and then this older Giants fan. And they kept throwing to 80, which was Richie James, and no one knew who he was. <laughs> He's the guy from MTSU. Yeah. Uh. I, I only remember him <laughs> because he went to MTSU the first time I followed the draft. And then yeah. Fulton was 51st because I don't know how you let Sterling Shepard get like 10 yards behind you. That was like, garbage. Post a, like post Achilles tear, Sterling Shepard just snuck behind yeah, you. Yeah, how does that happen? It, it, yeah. I mean, maybe like... Like we saw beginning of last season, some coverage busts. I mean, may, maybe Ooh. you can say that in like some run defense bust because Barkley had like three big runs. I mean, the defense looked like I mean Landry's good, but he's not Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt to where you remove him off the field. It's a totally different defense. It shouldn't be like that. No, but thankfully for us, Rashad Weaver stepped in, and <laughs> you didn't notice. I mean, the guy had two sacks and was a, a wrecking ball out there. So. Yeah. Had he not played that well, we would have been sitting there like, oh, God, we need Landry. Yeah, I would say we still miss Landry, especially his tackling, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, thank goodness for Weaver, because if not, we would have been in a real hurt, for sure. Land, where did Weaver come in as far as edge rushers on week one? He came in at 44th. Interesting. So, I wonder if that means – I mean, we obviously saw the two sacks, but I wonder if that means he was getting blown up. He was about middle of the pack across the board and stuff. <laughs> I, it's probably because they didn't weigh his sacks too highly. I can't say for sure because I haven't rewatched the game, but I definitely felt the downgrade from Landry to Weaver in the run defense department. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. You could see it in the tackle. Maybe the pressuring the quarterback, yeah. And he, uh, he didn't keep us from being really behind because if we didn't have more pressure, we'd have been in, in a lot more trouble. And even Weaver's two sacks, I mean, they weren't all him. I mean, he was kind of cleanup man on one of them and, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of a gang tackle on the other where he was the first one to get there. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I love team defense flying around and I love that Weaver was able to get on the stat sheet in a big way. And it makes me feel better at the end of the day. But, I mean, he, he, he didn't play like an all-pro, but he showed us enough to, that he can get the job done. And I think I think his uh, run defense will get a lot better as the season goes on. And plus, like you said, Landon, I mean, you know, it's Saquon. I mean, you're talking about one of the young premier running backs in the in the league, um, you know, bouncing back. Well, we made him series. look that way for sure. Well, that's true. But, I mean, even before then, like his mm-hmm. rookie year, he was sensational. And, uh, you know, he's getting back to that status. So, you know, it's, it's a big it's, win for them, for sure. Yeah, and I think it ins- if it, if I were a Giants fan, it would install a lot of confidence for me in Brian Dayball because I think they had the team ready to capitalize on opportunities and just how bold it was to go for two and and have to dial something up to get it. I mean, you got to hand it to them. I mean, it's not like they can look at all their players and be super pumped, but they could look and say, well, you know, just like with the Titans, if we can add some talent, uh, our guys aren't going to trip over the talent like uh, 
Giants coaches and front office guys have in in the recent past, I think. So I mean, there's there's a lot to you know to like about that Sunday when it's like they had half as many opportunities and still won. And their fourth quarter was super inspiring if I read Giants. I mean. Dable, yeah. like, that entire quarter was just rattling off so many great play calls over and over. That's what I mean. When's the last time the Giants had that? They were like, yeah, we yeah. won it in the we won it on the clipboard. Like, shoot. Yeah, there were like three plays where they did where they did like Danny Dimes running or a fake in a misdirection and it got most of the crowd, which doesn't really happen. Like Danny Dimes can scoot like that. I'm not saying he's gonna go forty yards, but he can turn and pivot and jump. You know, he, he can, Oh yeah. He's pretty he's heavy that way. Yeah, he really is. I mean, like he really just darts and goes, and you're not expecting it. And whatever is whatever procedural they, things they do to sort of cover it and bluff it. I mean, yeah. I mean, because like you said, I, we bought it. Yeah. And their offensive line, for as bad as it looked in the first half, was definitely a lot better in the second. Yeah, it's true. Which they speaks were to the adjustments. I mean, um, yeah, Simmons looked interior. like prime Aaron Donald in the second half. He mm-hmm. was still getting a ton of stuff, but the other guys weren't really showing up as much. It's to they made the adjustments where they could uh, on that interior because they were definitely kind of undermanned for sure. John and I had the opportunity to meet Amy Adams Strunk. She was walking around uh, some of the tailgates uh, before the game. We got really excited to meet her, went over there, and then she wound up walking over to our tailgate. <laughs> we talked to her, told her about the podcast, gave her a sticker. You hear on other podcasts, especially ones that are owned by the team. I, I don't think Amy Adams has a big deal with the, maybe the everyday even operation of our team. But we've thought this before we met her, but she's a really warm person. You get how people that have been around her just really kind of gush about her. She does have a really good presence. Honestly, what with what's happened, especially the last few years, with some of the embarrassing ways, not even just the way that owners can wreck their teams in sports, embarrassing behavior. Uh, I, I came away, John, thinking of being really thankful for Amy Adamstrunk because – she, there was another Adams family member that ran the team we know very, very poorly. And literally since the day she took over, a few days later she hired John Robinson, and she's let those guys work. I do have a great appreciation. This shouldn't matter, but ask Washington Commanders fans. Ask, I mean, just go down the line. Even Jim Jim Haslam and those guys in Cleveland, which if the Adams family didn't know that, Jim Haslam were probably on the Titans, and then – we would really know. We would we would really not take somebody like this for granted. But for me, John, hire somebody and let them do their job. We hear so much about micromanaging, and we hear so much about, oh, pick this guy and this really weird dynamic that one season they favor the coach and one season they favor the general manager. We've had to deal with none of that. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams, they keep her in the, in the know and keep her in the loop. But on Sunday, instead of – being somewhere pretending like she's the coach or general manager, she's meeting fans and thanking people for for the grassroots part of this. I came away really impressed. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, everything she's done, uh, you know, since she's owned the team, I mean, she's like you said, she's been the perfect owner. She lets the people, she lets her. Yeah, hire good people and get out of the way. That's the perfect yeah, owner. Exactly. Yeah, good people and get out of the way. I mean, I, I work in human resources. So I like, I, I see that kind of thing, and you need to trust the people. That you've hired to do the job. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's what it's all about. And she does. And she's got Vrabel's trust and she's got J-Rob's trust 100%. Maybe she has um, 
Shane Bowen's trust now, but I, I hope she doesn't have Todd Downing's. But but she was just awesome, and you know, obviously she was walking around the tailgate with a, with an entourage of people. Um, but she was the first person to come over and just like talk to us and a picture with us all. She was trying people's food at tailgate. I tried to offer her some cold Domino's pizza, but she didn't really care for it. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, it's just because she hadn't tried it. If she tried it, she'd like it. Oh, Who doesn't for like sure. cold Domino's? For sure. You know, cold dominoes and cold public swings, like, all over, baby. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I mean, just the fact, like, I was telling you when it happened, like, no owners do this. They don't do this, and this is why yeah, she's Yeah, I've different. never heard of that, just kind of chilling out. And I've seen pictures before of fans that have taken pictures with her. Yeah, so. and I've seen, I saw the videos of when we were in Kansas City for the play, or when the uh, when we played Kansas City in the playoff mm. game. She was out there just tailgating and having an awesome time. I think she was walking around with uh, Chris Johnson and Lindale White, um, and she was at the Two-Tone Blue Nation tailgate. And she just likes to do this kind of thing because she loves yeah. the people interaction. And I think she really appreciates you know, the opportunity to run a team. I mean, these people are worth a lot of money because what they own is extraordinarily valuable and is going to be way more valuable in the next 10 or 15 years. We all know the revenue is going to go up. Everybody is bracing for that. That The problem typically is ego. Amy Adams, if she's walking around our little dinky tailgate, uh, she doesn't have a much of an ego. And I think that's the redeeming thing. I think uh, women as owners in sports generally is a smart thing that we don't see very much. I think it's been an excellent fit for this town in particular. And, um, you know, I used to think when people would brag on owners, it was just great A butt kissing. But we've seen, I said earlier, the Washington Commanders as an example. 15 years ago, they were one of the literally one of the premier NFL franchises in tradition and revenue. And just look. I mean, we could have just as easily something could have happened and we could be owned by that dummy. But we should think, all right, well, I mean, we have someone that doesn't make us go through all these number of headaches. And my profession as a CPA, I know you mentioned being in, in human resources, it is very much a top-down thing. If you have expectations for behavior and for work ethic, you have to model it. That has been obviously been modeled because that doesn't happen on accident. So that's very. I was very thankful before I met her. I got a really good feel for her and, and, and talking about that, that she's kind of, I'm just, sometimes I think I have a friend that's a big Commanders fan and I just think, man, I would quit watching football. Absolutely. Big deal for me. I just really appreciate kind of where we're headed. You think about since she's taken the team over, we've hired good guys. We have, we've had a winning record every year and no one has been in any kind of trouble because I think the expectation is you can't. Well, and one thing I want to kind of highlight what you said, too, um, about Amy Adams being like an incredible female leader in a male-dominated profession for as long as, you know, it's been around. It may sound cheesy, but I, I, you know, when I got home from the game on Sunday, I showed my uh, two young daughters. I was like, hey, look, this is a picture of Daddy and Uncle Nathan with um, the owner of the Titans. And they pointed to my to our other friend, to my friend Taylor. And... (laughs) Hey, Taylor, <laughs> sorry you don't own the Titans. I was like, no, 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 not him, the girl. And it was just a very powerful moment to be like, this woman is a very, very powerful woman um, and a very powerful leader in a very male-dominated 
you know, profession. And it gave me a lot of hope for my girls. And, uh, you know, it was something that I can tell them and teach them. And I know I talked, I told my mom, I was like, you know, there's just us sitting with a female owner of a football, uh, of a billion, a billion dollar football team. Like, and that was just something that I know my mom probably takes a lot of pride in. So being able to talk to my girls about that a little bit, I mean, of course they're young, they don't fully understand that, but as a dad to kind of talk about that with them and just have a little bit of extra pride behind it, you know, I was just, you know, it, it, it made it that much more special to me for us to meet her um, and get to hang out with her and talk with her and, you know, thank her for everything that she's done for the city, for the yeah. community, for the team, um, and for us as fans. I mean, it's it's way more than just fun. Yeah, an owner can ruin a team. I would say I'm thankful for She's a good fit for this particular team and this particular city. Loved it. Loved meeting her. You guys, let's talk about – Outside of Nashville, um, this opening weekend, really fun. Some interesting stuff went down. Before we get out of here, let's uh, let's hear uh, – we'll start with Landon. Like, what jumped out at you? Just the number of one-score games that happened. I saw a stat that there were seven games decided by a field goal or less, which is a record for opening weekend. And it just felt like across the league, just every single game was coming down to the wire. It was like it was either a blowout or a really fun game. I mean, obviously, we lost – the Saints had a 16-point comeback in the fourth quarter. The Steelers and Bengals, neither side wanted to win before. Boswell hit like a 58-yarder at the buzzer in overtime to win. The Browns hit a 58-yarder to win with 10 seconds left. I mean, the Jags and Commanders, that game actually, I was catching some highlights. It actually looked kind of fun in hindsight. Yeah, Wentz did his thing. Yeah, Wentz, <laughs> yeah was, I mean... Wentz, Wentz was doing his best 2019 Jameis Winston impression. <laughs> I mean, the, Col- the Colts had a 17-point comeback to tie the Texans on the road. They also yeah, cut, they cut say, Blankenship yeah. today. I was going to I was gonna mention really? that. I was, yeah, I, they waived him today. And I was going to ask y'all, with Randy Bullock's botched kick, I mean, do you think we give – we'll put a claim in. I mean, since he, go, since he was waived, he goes through the waiver process. But do you think we put a claim in on him? I don't think Bullock is, like, totally safe, but I think he's safe for this week. I think we would look into Blankenship just because he is more accurate than Bullock. I mean, their legs are probably the same and aren't inspiring at all. I mean, but Bullock yeah, is more accurate, although I guess you could say, well, he plays in a dome a lot. I'm not uh, sure yeah. why they cut him. I don't follow the Colts that closely unless it's to hate on him. So I don't, I don't know either. if he just had a rough off season or if he had a really bad game Sunday since we were even. Well, I'm looking at it right here. I mean, well, number one, as a rookie, he came in undrafted rookie. He kicked 86 and a half percent with a long of 53. Yeah, he's the kid from Georgia, right? Yep. Yeah, the guy with the goggles. Yeah. Yep. Last year, he kicked a little over 78%. And this year, he started off, he made two of three and connected on two extra points. Like, to me, that's not, hey, I'm going to cut you bad. Yeah, it just seems no, weird, especially because all the time. special teams and kicking is can be such a delicate balance. I think I've, I read somewhere that the Bullock's kick that missed, someone was saying the snap and the hold were a bit off compared to what he was used to with Kern since. Kern's been his holder this whole time, and Stonehouse oh. only just won the job. Well, I guess that's a kind of fair point. And one thing that I was really kind of aggravated about, when we lined up for that field goal, Dable called a timeout. Bullock wasn't able to get that practice kick that you can sometimes get when they call it, when another team ices you. Yeah, I, I would have loved for him to get that practice yeah. one off. I'm yeah. aggravated that we had to waste a timeout to avoid delay a game. When we had just gotten like a 25-yard gain out of bounds, 
And that and then, that seemed awfully quick too. I remember sitting there and we were about to get a delay of game. I'm like, how in the hell did the clock run out so quick? So we set it up to get it on the right hash mark, except we lose three yards in the process, which doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. surely you could like we had Haskins in the game. You could run Haskins inside the right guard, get him on the right hash mark, and he would get a yard, and you would you would be able to spike it just as easily as if Tannehill lost three yards scrambling. Those three yards were the difference. If we're three yards closer, it would either. If we're three yards closer, it either bonks in, or it's just a swish or somewhat of a swish. I honestly thought it went in at first, but I had zero yeah, hope the, after the hell. People beside us were like, "Yay!" and I was like, "No, it didn't go in." But yeah, I mean, it was that close. Just aggravated at the AJ Brown stuff and how he just looks like an all star, and you know that whole thing. <laughs> I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of happy for him in a way. I mean, I wonder if. Honestly, like I wonder if Downing in our offense was part of the reason he forced his way out and asked for such a big amount of money. <laughs> it could be, you know, like like in Philly, like even though like all offseason, my fantasy, my brain is in fantasy mode. Like, oh, they don't have a great throwing quarterback; they're going to run a lot. And then he got like 15 targets and 10 catches for under 55 yards. I was re- watching his highlights, and he's like open and he's getting easy stuff that we didn't do. And looked at his mm-hmm. snap count; he was at like 90. Yeah. percent And honestly, I can't blame. Like, if you're a superstar receiver, which he almost is, like on a per play basis, he is. We just don't throw a lot, and he's on the field a lot. Like one Sunday, I would do what he did and ask for like twenty eight million or get me off this team. Yeah, I, I, get, I <laughs> yeah, mean, fair. it's it, it's a fair point, and you got to think about that too. And so, I mean, it makes me sad, and it makes all. I was I couldn't tell you how many texts I was getting from my friends and my family, like, "Thank you for AJ Brown." Didn't totally oh. understand how good he Oof. was until I watched on Sunday. Yeah, that uh, sounds cause, awful. Uh, yeah, because they that don't watch Titans fun. games, and but when they finally watch the Eagles, it's like, "Oh my God, what did you do?" <laughs> yeah, um, it's worrisome because he got the least value of any receiver that was traded in the offseason, and he's younger, and he certainly on Sunday looked as good as any of them, and that's saying something. So. It's um you like Landon said earlier, Burks is a keeper, but uh, can we get him on just the field for wonder. God's sake? Right. Yeah. You got I mean <laughs> some other stuff around the league that I took I, I took note of is uh, you know, obviously it looks like T J Watt might be out for the year. That was huge pectoral. I mean that demoralizing. It looks like it's gonna be like six weeks. It's not a full tear or a bad tear. Did he get that second opinion? I think he was looking Yeah, it just came time. up. Oh, okay. Um, well then, I guess uh, good for him. Uh, but he'll still for, be out pretty much till halfway through the season. Yeah. Well, and another big injury was Dak Prescott with his thumb. I know every every Dallas fan that that ship is about to sink. Although, keep, you know, keep faith, uh, Dallas fans, because I know you'll be excited once McCarthy's fired and Sean Payton is hired. Because well, they've made no contingency at backup quarterback. So nothing. Cooper I mean, Rush, really? It's so ridiculous. I, I almost wonder if they were like banking on some sort of Jimmy G trade at some point, or or I don't something. Think so I just think that they just. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean Cam Newton. Like, are you gonna call him up? I don't know. Not. It's not gonna help. I saw someone float out Mason Rudolph. I've seen that yeah. too. But really, right, but even that then, seems like the most like, realistic. It's an upgrade, right, but even the rush, then, but not. what is it? <laughs> like, like, well, how many times did they pass on Malik Willis? That would have been her. It's like, hey, let's get this really athletic guy and get him bouncing around that uh, dome. They have no contingency. We have a contingency. That's his thing. I mean, you're thinking about trading a draft pick for Mason Rudolph. It's like, well, how about, oh, okay, whatever. How about you could have just drafted a guy that could have at least made it interesting. How about trading know, for Minshew Mania in uh, F- Philly? In won't Dallas. Tra- 
So well, what about give him up. what about immediately signing Minshew or trading him when he when you could have got a better value? It's like yeah. no no planning for this. This guy has an injury history. Yeah, or I mean, you know, maybe Foles out of Indy. Like I I don't know. Yeah, none of these would make me feel any better if I were at Dallas <laughs> at all. No, I mean, you know, they probably hate Nick Foles. <laughs> Well, that's the time we have for today. Not an easy conversation, but I'm going to guess that you're a little more lighthearted after hearing Landon just rip rip on downing. I feel Um, feel better after this because I got all that off my chest. This is therapy. Yeah, and it's been 50 minutes, just like a therapy session. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, We'll take your uh, insurance and your copay on the way out. Although, hey, no, I think we all feel a bit better. Um, yeah. It's a long season. There are some elements there. They have some work to do. Still football, boys. Well, so, keep in mind. Keep in mind. We got smoked by the Cardinals week one last year. It's so, true. I mean, absolutely run out of the field. Guys, uh, until next time, we're going to try to get back with you with the preview episode. We're going to turn the page. Uh, I have heard a lot of our fan base and people around the NFL giving us zero chance to win this Bills game. But you know how things go, especially with this team and in this league. Uh, We'll be back with you soon. We'll be talking all things Titans-Bills. Until then, tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.